0: What's up with WhatsApp's malware? Microsoft pushes patches to some very old software and observations of a virtual healthcare CISO. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. This week, Facebook warned all WhatsApp users to immediately update their software after it discovered that attackers have been abusing a zero-day flaw to push malware due to a vulnerability in WhatsApp's signalling software, which allows the installation of spyware that could surreptitiously enable the target's microphone, intercept data, and more. Here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, with the details.
1: Zero-day attacks are big business. Witness the WhatsApp attack that came to light this week involving a buffer overflow vulnerability in the end-to-end encrypted messaging application. The flaw appears to have allowed attackers to call a victim and automatically install spyware, regardless of whether the victim answered their phone. It's not clear how long the vulnerability has been exploited or how many victims there might be. It's also not clear if the flaw might have given attackers any ninja-like capabilities, such as escaping Apple's iOS sandbox. Some, in fact, suspect the flaw was so valuable that there may have only ever been dozens of victims against which it was used. Indeed, Facebook, which owns WhatsApp, says attacks using the exploit hit a select number of victims, and also that the attacks were facilitated by an advanced cyber actor. Financial Times reports that the WhatsApp buffer overflow has been used to install Pegasus spyware. That's built by Israel-based NSO Group, Its software gets licensed to governments, looking to infect targets of their investigations and gain access to various aspects of their devices, such as surreptitiously turning on a smartphone's camera and microphone. Security experts say these types of attacks involve what's colloquially known as equipment interference. In lay terms, that means hacking. And it's increasingly prevalent. This is a really
2: good example of how governments are moving. Because post-Snowden, all these sort of apps became end-to-end encryption. And actually breaking that encryption is, to all intents and purposes, is not practical.
1: That's Alan Woodward, a computer science professor at the University of Surrey. Of course, many governments do want to conduct surveillance on targets, especially for law enforcement or counterterrorism purposes. Woodward says certain big governments, such as the UK, US, Russia and China, have homegrown tools and agencies designed to doing this. But many other countries lack such capabilities, at least in-house. In those countries,
2: they want the capability, but the only way they can do it is buy off the shelf from a commercial company, because what's happened is it's become a really active market sector. I mean, the company that's suspected of being behind this one, NSO, it was valued at a billion dollars not so very long ago. It was bought out by a venture
1: capital company.
2: I mean, this is big business.
1: I reached out to NSO. A spokesman declined to comment about whether the company has been providing the ability to target the WhatsApp buffer overflow to its clients. But he told me the NSO group rigorously vets all users of its software and that its technology is licensed to authorized government agencies for the sole purpose of fighting crime and terror. That might be true, But Pegasus has been tied to providing tools that have been used to monitor not just suspected criminals, but also human rights activists and journalists, including Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, before he was murdered in the country's consulate in Istanbul last October. Citizen Lab is a research group within the University of Toronto that investigates the use of software exploits by governments that have questionable human rights records and which monitor activists and dissidents. Citizen Lab believes that the WhatsApp exploit was used to target a UK based attorney with Pegasus spyware as recently as Sunday. The Guardian reports that the lawyer, who has not been named, is party to a lawsuit against NSO that has been brought by multiple government critics as well as Mexican journalists. Amnesty International, meanwhile, is supporting legal action to take the Israeli Ministry of Defense to court and demand that it revokes the export license of NSO Group. That would make it illegal for the company to supply its spyware to foreign governments or organizations. But arguably, NSO isn't using the spyware itself. And for the meantime, it's perfectly legal for NSO to sell such capabilities to foreign governments that have been given legal authority to use such tools. It's a thriving business because of that. It's actually a legal business.
2: Of course, it's not just sold to what one might think of as ethical governments, if there is such a thing. It's sold to some less than scrupulous governments as well, who may use it to contravene a number of people's human rights. And that's why Amnesty International, as I understand it, have approached the Israeli government, this one particular company, and said, please stop their export license, because they're exporting perfectly legally. They're trying to say, this is doing harm, please stop it. But until someone like the Israeli government steps in and stops it, or whichever government that company happens to be working under, then of course, it's perfectly legal to do it.
1: For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG
2: Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: Microsoft has taken the extraordinary step of issuing patches for its old XP, Windows 2003, Windows 7, and Windows Server 2008 operating systems. The problem is an easy-to-exploit remote desktop services vulnerability that could be turned into a worm.
3: Here's ISMG's Managing Editor,
0: Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, with more.
3: If there's a lesson from the WannaCry ransomware fiasco two years ago, it may be that no Microsoft operating system is truly out of support, depending on how bad a security vulnerability is. On Tuesday, Microsoft took an extraordinary step issuing patches for Windows XP, Windows 2003, Windows 7, and Windows Server 2008. Those operating systems are very long in the tooth and, in theory, shouldn't still be in use. But alas, they are. The reason Microsoft took the step is the discovery of a remote execution vulnerability within remote desktop services, also known as terminal services. Remote desktop services allows admins to connect to other computers on a network for servicing. But the vulnerability allows for exploitation of remote desktop services without authentication. Windows 8 and 10 and later operating systems are not affected, and the remote desktop protocol itself is not vulnerable. But essentially, it's a worst-case scenario for organizations running those older operating systems. It's possible to craft a worm using the exploit and infect other machines. Microsoft patched it to prevent another outbreak along the lines of WannaCry, which was a ransomware worm. At least as of Tuesday afternoon, the bug isn't being used in the wild, but organizations should not delay in patching. The vulnerability comes in the same way as researchers found a hard to fix issue within a variety of Cisco routers, new speculative execution problems in Intel processors, and a zero interaction flaw in WhatsApp. Those issues, however, would more likely be in the realm of more advanced hackers. Due to the ease of exploitation with this vulnerability, it could be taken up by nearly any miscreant to create global havoc, either for ransomware purposes or sheer destruction. Microsoft was struck by numerous mass worms in the early 2000s, but its subsequent focus on security hardened windows against attacks. That was until early 2017. In a mind-bending turn of events, a group calling itself the Shadow Brokers leaked a batch of exploits and tools from the NSA, including one called Eternal Blue. It was a software exploit that targeted version one of Microsoft's server message block file sharing protocol. Shortly after WannaCry emerged, Microsoft issued patches to secure its older operating systems out of mainstream support. Hopefully, this time around, organizations will heed the lesson from WannaCry and patch soon. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, ISMG's executive
0: editor, Healthcare Info Security, Marianne Kolbusuk mcgee interviewed Doug Copley this week, who's a CISO contractor for several healthcare sector entities. Doug shared some observations of his experiences working with various sized organizations and the different security characteristics that they have. Here's Doug to explain.
4: One of the benefits I get for working at multiple organizations is I get to see the differences by size. And so over the past nine months, I've worked at kind of three different size healthcare organizations and in different sectors of healthcare. And I look at a large health system and they certainly have better controls. They have stronger controls, but it can be very difficult and time consuming to make changes in their security posture and in their security program. I look at organizations that are very small, and they have very different needs from a security perspective, but it's much quicker and easier to implement things in a small organization. And so they can be much more nimble in adopting new technologies and putting new processes in place.
1: So it sounds as though the various levels of security maturity does matter in terms of these entities. And when it comes to the various... Things that they see as their top security challenges—does that differ much depending on the size and the maturity level? For instance, do the less mature entities tend to focus on things that perhaps might be easier for the larger organizations that have, you know, maybe deeper resources can deal with more quickly?
4: Yeah, that's true to an extent. You know, I, I think when I look across large system versus small system or small business associate. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's it's easier for the smaller companies to implement newer technology, but they tend to really lack maturity because they may identify something and put it in place, but they don't really they haven't really spent the time to build processes around it to understand the fact that You know, maybe multiple people need to be involved in the process. And so from a process standpoint, the larger organizations tend to be more mature, but they tend to be much, much slower in implementing stuff. Now, that being said, I used to be a CISO at a very large health system. And, you know, the larger health systems have much more security resources at their disposal. And when I I refer to resources, I'm really thinking more along the lines of people expertise. And so you've got very good minds at work to try and determine how are we going to structure this? How are we going to position these technologies? How are we going to architect this program? And you, you really lack that in the small organizations. So the smaller organizations tend to be much more tactical and lack kind of that, that leadership guidance, right, and kind of the higher-level perspective of the security program and how to evolve that.
0: That's it for this week's ISMG security report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.